If you guys have a Bible, turn to Revelation chapter 8, starting in verse 13. And it's kind of nice. You have to have your Bible or an app here, right? Like, it, it, has, to, it has to work. It's kind of nice doing it without it. And we're going to start where we left off last week in verse 13. So verse, uh, Revelation chapter 8, verse 13. You mean your I, I, I forgot to put in there uh, the prayer. So I'm going to pray this over us. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Blessed are the readers, hearers, and keepers of this word. Verse 13. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth. Sorry, I lost my spot. At the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft, and from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions on the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings somebody. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locust were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold, and their faces like human faces, their hair like women's hair, their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and sting like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek it is Apollyon. The first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. The first commentator that I read on this text, um, his very first sentence was something, well, it was this. Here, this language is heavily apocalyptic and difficult to interpret, and I couldn't agree more. It was one of those things where I got to this text and like I've said, I didn't like this is one of those texts that was I was not looking forward to preaching. I wasn't like, yes, I can't wait to get into this. But it actually gives me as I looked into it and as I and, and as I read and I study, it gives me more grace for those who interpret this without metaphor, who, who those who think that like maybe it's helicopters or something like that, because you know what, to be honest, everybody Every commentator that I read on this has a different view on it. Every single one. And it gives me grace because this, this is another text that although I wasn't looking forward to preaching, I'm glad that it's here. I'm glad that it's this week. And I believe that God has something for us even in this difficult text. And if you remember from last week, we saw in Revelation, we saw 
hail and fire mixed with blood falling on the earth and burning a third of the earth. Uh, we saw earth and gr- trees and grass were all burnt. We saw something like a great mountain burning with fire thrown into a sea. A third of the sea became blood and living creatures and ships were destroyed in the sea, a third of them. We also saw a great star Wormwood fall from the sky and make a third of the waters bitter and many people died from the water. All of this, and then the next word as we get into this text today, was woe for those who are to remain after this. Woe to those who for the next three trumpets. So it gets worse for those people who dwell on earth. Worse than stars falling from the earth. Worse than being killed by bitter water. Other translations, and it's for those who dwell on earth. Other translations have this as those who inhabit the earth. Those who inhabit the earth. Those who inhabit the earth, um, they have rejected God over and over and over again. That is who this is being referred to. Those who have rejected God. Those who um, love to walk in the ways of the wicked. They love to stand in the in the sit in the seat of um, scoffers and stand in the ways of sinners. Those who, if they had to choose between God and Satan, they would pick Satan because he just sounds more fun. And. The truth is, is that I've, I've seen this text used as Christians would read this and they would span, stand back and cheer at the destruction. Yeah, God, get them. That is not the point of this text. We don't stand back and cheer at the destruction. If you notice, all the saints in heaven, as these things were being unfurled, were standing in silence, watching. One of the things I know about sin is it eats its own. Amen? Sin constantly eats its own. It is always self-serving and it never leads to life. It only leads to death. Even if it looks like life for a little while, maybe it looks fun, it still leads to death and destruction and misery upon misery. Sin is always, always trying to destroy life in all its ways while Jesus is always trying to give us life and life abundant and full. In this text, we see Abaddon and Apollyon, both names, one in Hebrew and one in Greek, mean destructor and destroyer. So the angel of the bottomless pit is the king of sin. He is the king of all things that destroy and are destructive. And this is sin. He's the king of sin. This king has come to kill and to steal and to destroy. And it is no wonder that as this scene unfolds, the blowing of the fifth, sixth, and seventh seal are so unbelievably horrible because sin is unleashed in full effect on this earth without relenting. Many believe that the the fallen star that was fallen from heaven was a fallen angel, mainly Satan, who stands over the bottomless pit. When that star was hurled down, it was Satan come and he comes and he unlocks the bottomless pit and the full fury of sin comes up from this bottomless pit. He has the power over sin, at least the power to unleash it, but he does not have the power to stop it with grace and love. So we watch sin and we watch all its effects play out in the next three trumpet blasts, including this one. We see that the wages of sin really is death. 
It's not just something to get us to believe. We see what it looks like, and it is death. It's even worse than death. It's even those who cry out for death don't receive it, and yet they want it. It's as if his sin is unlocked on the earth, and all it does is destroy the earth. Just eat it up. Just gobble it up the entire time. God humbles pride. He humbles arrogance. And sometimes... He does this by letting the results of pride and the results of sin turn full face or full force back in their own face. And in the end, it really isn't worth it to consider yourself better than others because that's pride. No one is greater than Jesus. And those who deny themselves, die to themselves, pick up their cross and follow Jesus no longer look as foolish as they once did in light of all that's going on. Hell on, it is hell on earth when sin runs rampant. Hell on earth is not brought by God. It is brought by sin. And we can see that in this picture, God is actually holding back. He's not allowing the locust to harm the grass or plant or tree that was green. So God is still in charge. He's not just like, He didn't pull back. He's still there. He never loses control. But he does allow sin to eat its own. God warned us. God is warning us. God continues to warn us over and over and over and over again. He sent his one and only son, Jesus, and humanity put him to death. And yet, he has kept warning us over and over and over about the destructive nature of sin. Sin has the sting of death. Sin will eat us up, and it doesn't care at all about our well-being. As great a force as sin is, as destructive as it is, God's grace is always greater. It is always greater. It is always bigger. In a way, God's grace is is a more destructive force because it destroys death and brings life about. If we look at this, we can think that God is fierce. And in a way, God is very fierce. He's more fierce in his love and his grace than in his wrath. His desires for us to follow him are so great that he keeps sending us messages over and over and over. Follow me. Stay with me. Abide with me. His desire for us is to follow him. And he is demanding his way. But his love and his grace cover a multitude of sins. So when we don't measure up because we won't, because we can't, we can't measure up to God's perfect standard of perfection, his love and his grace overrides all our sins. This is why I don't think it's okay in our culture, our day and age, to get rid of sin. Because if we get rid of sin, then we no longer need grace. And grace and love are the most powerful forces given by God to this earth to destroy the ways of the wicked and destroy, by the way, when I say the ways of the wicked, I'm talking about the ways of wickedness in us as well as in the earth. And to put us on the path of following Jesus that is led by Jesus because that path will lead to life, not the destruction that we read about here. And we'll keep reading Revelation. It leads to a pretty cool party, a pretty good deal for all those who follow him. For those who need to say that this or that 
thing isn't a sin, so we can accept and want to love one another. I say we need to love one another despite everybody's sins. I empathize with that sentiment. However, if we eliminate sin without Jesus, if we take sin away, then we don't need Jesus. We don't need his grace. We don't need God's love for him. If we eliminate sin, we eliminate the need for the cross. And we need the cross of Christ in our lives. We need the cross. If we eliminate our need for Jesus, then we are completely reliant on our way for this world. And we see how freeing that is in this text. It may look freeing for a moment, but in the end, it is not freeing it at all. Jesus' perfect life, sinless death, and bodily resurrections are the only things that can cleanse us from all our sin and all our imperfections. His blood is what erases our account of all that we've done wrong, even the things we didn't mean to do wrong. Jesus lived his life so that he would exchange his sinless life for our sinful one. And that is the only way that we are sealed by God's kingdom by the blood of Jesus. Grace and love, you guys know, our church is called Grace and Mercy. I try to preach Grace and Mercy. I try to live about Grace and Mercy and, and, and live in Grace and Love. I'm not always perfect in it by any stretch of the imagination. But these are way easier selves if we, that's all we do, if all we ever talk about. But when we don't line up with our given purpose in life, it will destroy us in the end. When we don't worship Jesus and we worship the things of this world, its empires, its gadgets, its money, its power, its influence, we are being dead, led down a road that is far more destructive than we can imagine. We can be warned. This judgment is not absent of love. It's full of love. It's full of warning. It's full of... Jesus again and again saying, follow me, follow me, follow me. We get to live a life of repentance. Amen. This is why over and over at Grace and, hum Grace and Mercy Church, I beg us for humility. I beg it in my own life. I beg it in my prayer life for all of us. I beg it from the pulpit. I beg it in the selection of songs that we may sing about humility, that we're not better than anybody. We're not better than the people at the end. But Jesus is. Jesus is. That is why I always say we need to be in need of Jesus. When? Now and forever. In every day, in every moment. I don't always focus on the wrath and judgment. And the reason for that is... For far too long, I've watched people use God's wrath and judgment to motivate us to do what they say we should do. And I reject this wholeheartedly. Our motivation is those who want to follow Jesus, those who want to live the Jesus life, the Jesus way. Our motivation is grace. It is forgiveness. It is love. It is the only, it is the way of life that can be found in following Jesus. When you say, why are you doing this? Because I've been loved so much. Jesus first loved me. Jesus gave me his grace. So much so, it, it's an abundance and it can come flowing out of us. So we get to live life, lives of repentance. This repentance is never ending. We don't come to Jesus as a one and done. 
We come to Him daily, hourly, moment by moment. We don't come to Him to get out of wrath. We come to Jesus to follow Him wherever He will lead us. And sometimes it looks better than others. As a byproduct of following Jesus, we will avoid this wrath that is to come, but that's not our motivation. We don't get our get-out-of-hell-free card and then move on. We live our lives of love because we've been so greatly loved that we can't help but love others. We've been so greatly forgiven that we can't help but forgive others. This is our motivation. And this is an ongoing process. It doesn't stop once we say yes to Jesus because we have to say yes to Jesus step by step by step day by day by day. We don't ever figure it out. We walk one step at a time. Or as Eugene Peterson likes to say, every step is an arrival. Every step is an arrival, which he stole from a poet and then applied it to the Christian life who wants to follow, for those who want to follow Jesus as he is Jesus. He also stole a saying from Frederick Nietzsche, which is long obedience in the same direction. And he used this idea, this thought and this idea, long obedience in the same direction to talk about the Christian's walk. In fact, the first line in that book by that title, by the way, is this world is no friend to grace. And we can see that perfectly in today's text. And that shows why we need to walk with Jesus each and every day. We don't do so with complacency, but we, we follow Him with all that we are. This jarring language in Revelation is meant to wake us up. It's meant to wake us up. It's meant for us to question things and go, really? So if you go, I don't buy that sermon, Scott, that's okay. Read the text. See what God speaks to you about that. That's okay because it's meant to wake us up to the realities of what it looks like to follow Jesus and what it looks like to not follow Jesus. We've already mentioned the humbling statement in this, in this part of uh, Revelation from Matthew 7, 21 through 23. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Did we not set up tents in the rain in your name? That's, that's an addition. That's not actually the Bible. But then it goes on and it says, Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This begs us. This begs us, Grace and Mercy Church, to have the humility needed to walk step by step. This begs us that this, the warning of the judgment to come is real and we don't want to be a part of it. We don't know how it's going to play out. Amen? I'm super grateful for that. We can be assured, though, that sin will destroy and it will keep on destroying. I read one author recently that suggests that sin, sin in the way that it plays out is actually suicide. It's constantly killing itself because there's no life in it. It always kills and in the end it will kill. It is a provocative statement that the author intended to wake us up from our complacency towards sin in the sin that dwells in our own lives, but not only in our own lives, in our community, in our nation, in our world as well. And this fifth trumpet is provocative. 
It should provoke us to humility and the need for grace. The desire to not want to go through it. One thing that I'm learning as I preach Revelation. By the way, thank you, Joanna. Joanna suggested it. Holy Spirit said, yeah, that's your next book. And, and through prayer, more prayer, that's what it was. And I'm super grateful for it. One thing that I'm learning through preaching Revelation is that God's love and His justice are the same. His grace and His wrath are not as different as I once imagined. I'm learning that as a parent corrects their children, we need correction too. I'm also learning that as correction is needed constantly, it's not a, I corrected you once, so therefore I never, never need to correct you again. So grace is needed constantly. So repentance is needed constantly. As I pray for us, Grace and Mercy Church, I pray that we don't fall asleep. I pray that we don't fall asleep. And I'm not talking about sleeping. I'm talking about spiritually. I pray that we don't rest on our prayers and relationships, relationship that we had with Jesus from earlier days. That we use those earlier days as stepping stones for another step in our relationship today and tomorrow. That we can live it out each and every day. That we can stay awake in this world of sin that wants to lull us to sleep. Wants us to stop following Jesus. Wants us to stop seeking Him out. I'm not talking about prayer, praying and reading your Bible and going to church. All those are pieces of it. I'm talking about setting aside time in our hearts and our minds to build the relationship with Jesus that is ever deepening. Every day it can go deeper. For those who are married, you know that we didn't say on our wedding day, I love you and leave it there. We didn't show one act of giant love and then walk away from a life of love to our spouse. If we have, that's a call for repentance and you start loving your spouse again. But we didn't leave it there. This love has to be nurtured. It has to be tended to day by day, week by week, year by year, step by step. We need that with Jesus so much more than in our marriages, but we need it in our marriages too. So don't, don't deny that. I know that we all have long pe periods where we just kind of float through and we're just getting by or we're getting tired of working on relationships, but let us not grow weary. This is what I mean by let us stay awake. Let us fight against the sin that wants to kill and destroy our relationship with Jesus. We get to stay repentant day by day by day. We get to stay humble moment by moment. And in that, sometimes staying humble looks like humility. Or not, not humility, but humiliation. We get to stay needy. We never arrive because each step is an arrival. And it takes work to stay that way. It takes work to stay awake, to not be lulled away. And I'm not saying we need to work for our salvation. I'm not suggesting that Jesus' love for us is dependent on what we're doing. It's not. We don't have to work. And Jesus' love isn't dependent on us. We don't have to do the work. But if we miss out on some of the relational work, then we're going to miss out on a deeper relationship with Jesus. And this, if this is us, it makes me sad. It breaks my heart. 
And we get to keep going deeper and deeper in our relationship with Jesus. I'm convinced that God is the one who initiates our relationship and desires to have it grow. He wants us to get to know, he wants to get to know us better. And we do that through communication with him. We do that through living with him. And he wants us to know him better as well. Grace and Mercy Church, as this text is a difficult text full of wrath and judgment to come, we don't stand back and laugh at those who go through the judgment. But we also don't want to be those. And we're not going to be those if we keep walking step by step. I would rather hear, well done, good and faithful servant, than face the wrath that is pictured in Revelation chapter 9. So Jesus, I pray that you will keep us from that wrath. I pray that you will keep us from the sin that just wants to destroy and eat up our lives. Lord, I pray that as you keep us from those things, will you lead us to repentance? Will you lead us to seek you out and grow our relationships with you? Will you grow our dependence on you? Will you, Lord, will you make us needy? In Jesus' name, amen.